Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. That's one thing that was super surprising for me was when COVID first hit and everybody was kind of flipping out, you know, stocking the pantry as opposed to going to the bar. So we've got, you know, there's on-premise and off-premise. So at the bar and at home. Yeah. And how much our business relied on one or the other and it kind of flip-flopped and, and it didn't slow down at all. <laughs> Sped up, if anything. Liquor's being sold. It's just going somewhere different. Yeah. yeah. Jesus, Jesus, that was loud. Right. Anyways, um, that was loud. All right, welcome to episode. I don't know what the episode this is going to be, but welcome to the King White Tales <laughs> podcast. We've got a special guest with us today, and we are live. Well, not live, but we're recording outside at the Bourbon on the Banks event in Frankfort, Kentucky. So, if you're new here, thanks for joining us. If you're here, been here before, thanks for. Man, I need to have some of this whiskey. Or yeah, some I, was caffeine say, morning, I don't know what's going on. Feeling well, a little rough. I was going to say, if you hear any background noise, we're outside, so that's yep. to be expected. There's a road bias, and there's trucks that run up and down it. But that's the least of our worries. We're actually here, and we are excited to talk to Seth from Brown Foreman. From the Cooperage. Cooperage. Thanks yes, for coming, sir. Seth. Yeah, glad to be here. We're excited to get into the weeds. We want to talk. Everybody always talks about whiskey, and we want to talk about before that. It's it's where it all starts. Uh, we're we're very proud of what we do and and the effect and what it does for the whiskey, the end product. So. Well, we uh, were very lucky to come visit the Cooperage. I think we were the second or third people in there since 2020. Yeah, uh, I, I caught up on that that show that you guys did, and um, getting people back in to do tours was something that we were really excited about, but also very cautious, right? Sure. Because a lot of people don't know, but the Coopers, you can't just go pick one up. Like, they're pretty hard to find, so... <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've been with Brown Foreman for about nine years, and I always bring this up whenever I do interviews. I've never, I've, in, I've interviewed one person that had experience. Wow. You, you just don't, yeah. you know, it's, it's pretty niche, although it's growing like crazy, but. So when people know. come in to, to start a job at Brown Foreman, like previous experience on a resume is just not a thing. Correct. I mean, production, yeah. we ask for, we look for woodworking experience, right? Because sure. that's, you know, plays a pretty big part in what we're doing. Right, right. Um, but you still, you don't see a lot of that either. Yeah. So. What was um? What are some pre- other than woodworking? What are some and I guess maybe manufacturing? Are there any yep. other skills that 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 you guys look for? Manufacturing kind of production, it, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, for the most part, we're not like a, a Ford or a, you know a big you know auto manufacturer assembly line type situation. Everything, every barrel is different, mm-hmm. um, but the task itself is somewhat repetitive. So that manufacturing experience kind of fits right in. Yeah, yeah. there's so much to to go over. It's like I don't even know where to start. It's um, like, do we run all the way back to, that was the duck, the good doctor. Do we run all the way back to 
uh, like, geez. So, well, I guess we could start with you guys get the wood. You, you're one of the few. Are you the only one that has your own Coopers? Most people. Um, we're the, you know, we were the only one for a long time. Um, I think there's a couple now that the industry is growing like it is. There's mm-hmm. there's a few more or maybe one more that I'm aware of that, that is on the Coopers now. But most people go through Independent Stave or Kelvin's or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But you guys, you get the wood from. Yeah. So, um, I like to kind of brag on the fact, one of the things I really like about Brown Form, we own the process, right? From the very beginning till it gets put on the shelf in most cases. So we actually have uh, log buyers that go out after it gets cut down the forest. Um, they'll inspect that log for you know defects or issues and then grade it and then pay based on that. Wow. Um, and then I can just take you through the whole yeah. Yeah, please gambit do. and stop me wherever. But um, so from that point, it'll come into either we purchase, we have internal mills, we have external mills um, just by the sheer volume that we're running. You know, you have to purchase from multiple uh, vendors, but um, it'll go to the mill as a log. Um, obviously, we take that you know, first third or so of the tree, less defects and knots and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Interesting. Uh, so we'll take that first little bit and then merchandise that down. And so we're looking for as, as many stave bolts as we can get. And the bolt would be, you know, a 36 to 38 inch, uh, section of that log. And then we'll half saw it, quarter saw it through the heart and then resaw it into to boards or staves. Um, and then if we can, based on the length of that log, get a couple of heading bolts out of there, or maybe one or two heading bolts, we will, and then process that through the stave mill. Um, they're removing heartwood or any defects, major yeah. defects that they see. So yeah. out of one mature tree, how many barrels? It's three, I think. Was it's like not the, a lot. It's not yeah, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a lot. It's, a, it's something that I was very surprised to hear. Like it's, um, it really makes you appreciate Sure. That wood, those in the process, a whole lot more when you realize that you know a tree grows for. I mean, how long does it take for a, a white oak to get to maturity? Thirty, forty yeah. years. Yeah, it, it's, it's a like, while. It's a, that's what we when we teach our classes. We we always focus on like a ten year bourbon. What does that really mean? Like, how many times is somebody going to make one and ten years later be able to taste it? Yeah. But the stave part of it, it's like yeah, it takes thirty years for this tree to grow. And then you can make three barrels out of one tree, and then they got to haul it all the way over here, and then cut it up, sit it outside, let it season, and then these guys that are unicorns that nobody knows what they're doing magically put these barrels together with no glue, and it's <laughs> and then pressure test it, and then char it, set it on fire, yeah. and you fill it with. It's a wild process. Yeah. There's right. it's like a backfiring golf. Yeah, that? with these guys on these scooters. Uh, this is entertaining. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's wild the amount of the amount of uh, the amount of time that it takes, you know, because everybody talks about the aging process and they don't nobody wants to talk about you know the thirty forty years that had to happen before that you know that distillate could be put into a barrel. Sure. Um, and then so you guys get th- through that portion, um, cut them up, and then how many like ha- those log? You call them purchasers or buyers or log yeah, buyers? How many like? How, how much are they buying it? Like, like a, I'm assuming it's a daily thing, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah in it, order it's to keep daily, up. sure. And they'll they'll travel all over, um, and then just you know whatever they can get log feet, right? So right. they take up log feet. Okay. Hmm. How long does it sit behind the coopers there in season? So it'll actually sit on the mill uh, yard for for a few months and get some of that acid out of it, um, yeah. just naturally as it as it dries on the yard, um, and then we'll bring it into the the cooperage. Um, so Brown Foreman owns two cooperages. We have one in uh, Decatur, Alabama, or Trinity, Alabama, and then the one in Louisville. Um, 
our site, we have a pre-dryer, so we'll put it in a pre-dryer, kind of okay. get it down, bring it down uh, in the moisture content, and then kiln dry it um, about a you know couple week cycle, get it down to about 12% moisture. Okay, that was, good. That was mm-hmm. my next question. Okay. What, what was the ideal moisture? Because I when we started working with this wood, that was one thing that uh, I found interesting, depending on how old or how long the barrel had been empty, what the moisture level was and things. And uh, because for traditional woodworking, like like if you're working with you know premium premium woods making furniture, right? Like you have a, you have a moisture level in that wood that's ideal, right? To, to dry to, but when you have barrels that's holding, you know, holding liquid and fluid in it, the, uh, the moisture level that we were getting from staves that, you know, were, were still 15, 20%. Like it was very, it just to pay, unless my, my, uh, whatever it's called, the little thing you poked in the wood is barometer. Yeah. Whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, the thing works. Yeah, it works. Unless it's unless it's off, but it, it was always fascinating to see. And I was actually when we started making products first, I was concerned that the wood uh, would crack or after we made products. But um, it's been fine. Yeah, it's been really good. Never so had any issues. They so after you guys get the bolts, you guys process them down into pieces, parts. Right? We we go through the manufacturing process, which we've we've discussed before. But from the like, how how long is it? I guess from the once you guys get those pieces broken down um obviously they have to it has to dry Wait, does it dry before or after you break it into the specific pieces that you need so they'll they'll cut it into staving heading pieces yeah they'll dry it on the yard at the okay, mill then they it'll come okay. to us it'll season a little bit longer then we'll dry it in the kiln down to about 12 to 15 percent moisture okay right um and then it and then it starts its journey in the cooperage. So the stave sizes, when you start making them, they're they're all varying in size. Is it is that intentionally? You you ha, you know that each one's one. You're going to make twenty at this size, twenty at that size. Width. Yes. Width. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not necessarily. Um, one of the great things about our cooperage, or both of them, um, we use some really neat and advanced technology um, to to maximize our our yield or our our, our wood fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll take any varying width, and we can. Too wide, it gets really hard to get, you know, the bend and everything in it when you get to the barrel raisin portion. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to take whatever we can get. Okay. I mean, that's, that's one thing I wondered is if it's like, well, there's, you know, this size, this size, and this size. But, yeah, they're all just. Yep. yep. So that's one thing we've noticed. Because I don't get out, like, a micrometer and actually measure it. But it's, I mean, typically that's about as thin as they get. And then yep. we'll get some that are five inches wide sometimes. When five they, and a half. When it comes in from the mill, we'll get an inspection. They'll give an average inch. And it's mm-hmm. usually two and a half to three. I mean, it's okay. It's pretty consistent as far as that's concerned. But yeah, we can take bigger or smaller. Nice. Okay. As long yeah. as we can get that that profile on it. So the how many master coopers do you keep on staff? So we're currently we're running two shifts um, in our finishing department where the master the, the coopers work, um, and so we've got uh, five on first and five on second. Nice. So, and, they, and how many barrels? Because they have that barrel counter in there mm-hmm. on an average day, twenty four hour day. How many? Barrels, you guys pumping out? We're pu- we're pushing out twenty four hundred is our goal. So wild, dude! It's, it is. It's, it's if and and for people listening, if you've never had the opportunity to, I mean, you can look on our our page, our YouTube page. We have uh, a video of it. You can just and there's a how it's made, but just take the time and go see what that process is like. Uh, tw- that's a lot of barrels. Yeah, wild. It's, it is wild. And then you think about you know what's aging in a, in a warehouse somewhere and there's the millions of barrels yeah. times 53 gallons is yeah it's a lot i read just a couple of days ago i had heard it before but i wanted to look it up there's over 10 million barrels aging in kentucky right now 
Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) I think they say there's more barrels aging in in Kentucky than there is people. People, yeah, I've heard that as well, which is also fascinating. That's crazy. Did you guys have to ramp up when it was with all this, like, it's the big bourbon boom and everything? Or have you been pretty much pumping out the same numbers? Um, So that site in particular is is kind of that that 24 number we we're looking to push a little bit further than that uh, but that's kind of where it's topped out at i guess you could say just from a space wise i mean you guys came to the tour we're sure. we're landlocked with railroad and, and mm-hmm. airport um the cooperage in alabama was opened in 2000 late 2013 um so that was kind of the expansion piece right is they're going to continue to to build barrels for ground forming products and they've got the ability and space to expand down the road nice getting some of that hurricane wind i think yeah. Yeah, they said the rain wasn't going to be an issue, but I didn't think about the wind. Yeah. Oh, well. Eh, what are you going to do? Nothing. Nothing at all. So what's some other behind-the-scenes Cooperage stuff that people don't realize or, or would find fascinating? Uh, I, probably the biggest thing for us on our particular side is just the use of technology. Um, we're The first part of our process, we're using technology that, although it's you know been around the, in the uh, furniture business for a while it's it's relatively new it's very new for for cooperages and mm-hmm. you're starting to see more and more cooperages come online um when we opened up Jan- jack daniel cooperage I, i'm gonna get the years wrong on this but that was the first cooperage built in probably 50 60 years oh wow. that was in 2013 since then there's either somewhere like five to seven more cooperages have been built wow um so the, the technology that's come along in that time is is pretty fascinating and to be able to uh put a stave in that, you know, we paid X mount for four inches and, and make sure that we get as close to that four inches out of that piece of wood is, is pretty amazing how we can do it. And the, the scanner technology and, and things of that nature that get us the best we can. The scanner scanning wood coming in or all around. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So after we dry it in the kiln, it comes in and then we'll, we'll plane it um, so that we can get a good look on, on the wood for any defects. And then the scanner will take a picture, send that to a rip saw. It's all automated. Wow. Ripsaw will cut out, you know, as little as possible. Um, and then it goes through our molders where molders are looking with the camera um, and then getting that profile cut into their uh, concave, convex angles yeah. um, so we can get a stave out of it. That's wild. So you don't really have to touch it at all other than assembly. Don't want to. Yeah, I, that I, makes sense. It's a really good day for me if they're not if they're not getting in there and touching Losing them. fingers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah that's it, the other piece. The safety is huge. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, especially in manufacturing and um the one thing I think we were both fascinated by some of the, the it, it's, it's hard to explain the, the, like the production floor, but it's, it's like, it's a living thing. Like everything is moving, but everything's, everything has a place. It has an order. It has, it, 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 it it's place in the process. Um, and like watching them build, like the, I think the first thing, one of the first things we saw was the, um, how, how the guy makes the barrel heads, right. Mm-hmm. And his p- choosing and placing of those. And then you've got the, um, yeah, that laser the overlay laser on that it with it. You know, the size, right? Yeah. So this is what the barrel head's going to be. So it needs to fit this. And then watching those get cut out with so much precision and then and then uh, charred. Um, you know, like, I, I don't know. If I ever try to do that by myself, just with tools, it would take me weeks probably to figure that out. I mean, just the, um, like, the groove. I don't know what the, I don't think tongue and groove is the, is the correct. So our, yeah, our heading is tongue and groove. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. tongue and groove, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, just that part alone we get some like the willet ones are doweled mm-hmm. and it's I, that blows my mind too because to take a multi varying pieces of wood that are not the same length and dowel it together to me that's that's because we try we try to do that before dowel things together yeah to, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a real pain it's rough <laughs> sure but, that's that's how we did it at brown farm and cooperage 
prior to this equipment going in in 2019 was yeah. was Dow pins. Yeah, it's, it seems it just doesn't it doesn't seem like it. Well, I guess that's really true with the whole like cooperage process. Like it doesn't seem like it should work, right? Like <laughs> there's no glue, there's no sealant. It shouldn't. Doesn't seem like it should work, but it's it's been around for ages. <laughs> and it it doesn't seem like it should be so difficult either, right? <laughs> it's I'd stick it's, these uh, pieces of wood, yeah. throw some hoops on them, and th- we love it. Because people have never seen one before, and we used to we used to sell them. We kind of quit doing it, but they'd buy these whiskey barrels, and we'd drop them off like on a Saturday, and uh, they're like, "Oh, I'll get it," and like, "No, you're not. Uh, we'll get it." So we'll get it out. It takes two of us, and then we set it up right, and we're like, "You can kick these any way you want to move them. You can roll them." Um, you know, they're heavy, wash your toes. Yeah. And they're like, I can't believe how big this thing is. Yeah. Like they don't look that big, you know, in pictures and stuff, but they're, they're pretty decent size. Sure. I'm always worried about, uh, people go for right for the top with that, that iron, the head iron, right? That stuff's super sharp. Yeah. Um, they just want to grab it and move it around like yeah, easy. Yeah. Yeah. We've cut ourselves several times, uh, moving that stuff around, taking them apart. And it's, um, I don't know. It's just our, it's our favorite part. Like we, I think we both yeah. agree. Like we obviously we love the end product and and maturation and, and blending and all the things that come after. But the process of going to going there, picking out barrels, finding what we like, looking at them, looking at each piece. Like because you know when you look at a barrel, they're all varying sizes. Well, we need mm-hmm. some of the wider staves, so we have we get to touch a lot of barrels and pick, you know, whatever. And then just the process of loading it up, bringing it home, pulling them back out. Boss, when I'm open, there's some liquid in the bottom of them usually. Sometimes you taste it, sometimes you don't. And, uh, but it's a ton of fun. It's just, I like touching it, I like moving them around. So going like to the Cooper's tour was, was huge for us. It was a ton of fun. We're probably the, of anyone you'll ever have in there, we were probably the most excited, even though. <laughs> cool. Yeah. We'll take it. You know, it's, it's almost in our, in our site too, it's, it's almost like two different plants, right? I don't know if you kind of picked up on that, but like downstairs where all this new equipment is, it's, the lighting's even different and the sound is different. Then you come back upstairs and it's, I call it clanging and banging. You know, it's old equipment that's mm-hmm. tried and true and tested and yeah. has been used for years. And um, that's where like the art form and the craftsmanship really comes to play. Yeah. It's fun to watch. I do have a question. The inside, it seemed like almost every machine had a different, like there's a Wood- Woodford label on one and uh, I didn't see anything Jack Daniels in there, but. The, yeah, the, we'll we'll switch that up every so often. Okay. So on like barrel char, I think we had the brown foreman yeah. plaque up there. If we have a like certain tour coming through, we've got some interchangeable placards that we'll put up. Oh, okay. So that Cooper's Craft is obviously one that we're really proud of mm-hmm. yeah. being right there on site. And, yeah, yeah. You know, a picture of the building on the bottle, which is pretty neat. And yeah, so we, that, there's a lot of that in there. We sat with Fitz and did a taste. I think, yeah, Fitz and Tyler, we did yeah. a little tasting there. And um, the, the barrel for Cooper's Craft is great. It's great. Yeah. So, do I have any other Cooperage questions? I don't have any other Cooperage questions. I'd like to, so a big part of having these discussions and the the, uh, the guest that we have later today was to, is to touch on the the, the shortage, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the, what's your insight? What's your, your thoughts? Your, you know, how is it affecting what you guys do and how are you planning for, for anything that might come of that? Sure. Um, you're going to have a scientist on later. So that's a little intimidating <laughs> that I'm going to say something uh, wrong, but uh, it's, you know, it does this, the market's up and down. Yeah. So from a cost perspective, you know, that's definitely, you know, affects us. So, so for me, you know, part of my year, I'll have a certain cost based off of, you know, what the market was at one point when we bought this wood a year ago, and then it'll change throughout the year. So, so from a, 
nice. <laughs> so from from that side of things, it is it is tricky to uh, deal with. Uh, from a shortage, you know, my I did spend some time in Indiana. I was managed a mill up there. You know, the, I got a little bit more inf- insight there. Um, when I first started, I think it was around six percent of all white oak that was harvested was used for barrels. Right. That's probably getting into the ten plus range now, just based yeah. on how things have grown. Um, everything that I've ever seen or been part of um, with with Brown Foreman has shown that, that the wood is out there, um, right. And for years, um, but it's it's managing it. Yeah. Yeah, managing it's going to be tough. Um, so the uh, sorry about that. Sorry, uh, the joys of trying to <laughs> record and uh, our, our help, the person that we brought to uh, to help us out disappeared, so I don't know where he's at. <laughs> but, um, so you're not super concerned then? I mean, no? Oh, hold on. Try again. How about that? There we go. Um, I think as a, co- as a company, yeah, we're concerned, but I think Brown Foreman is, is such a big you know, player in a uh, sustainability, sure. yeah, yeah. not only from the, you know, use of natural resources, because there's also, you know, all the other right. you know, things that we use to make yeah. our product. Um, but they're, they're putting in the work with Dendry fund and, and white Oak initiative yep. to make sure that you know, there is that availability down the road. You know, so okay. you, you hear a lot of different things, but yeah. for the yeah. most part, it's pretty consistent around, you know, we'll be okay, but we can't just act like nothing's going to change and yeah, yeah. it'll be there for our kids. Yeah. Sure. Sure, sure. That's and that's kind of what we, some of the stuff we really wanted to, to, to the reason we wanted to have this conversation is is kind of the um, sustainability, right, mm-hmm. and the, the conservation part of things because I think it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. And um, but it's it's interesting, it's interesting to hear that you know from your perspective, like you're obviously you're continuing the company's taking it serious, right? You guys are continuing to do things to make sure that it's not a problem down the road. Um, so I know you guys are a part of White Oak Initiative. What was the other one you mentioned? Uh, the Dendry Fund. What is the Dendry Fund? Uh, it's research into White Oak. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And ensuring its you know yeah, viability. Yeah. Interesting. I had not heard of that one, which is um, I'll have to look it up because I I don't want to. We have uh, the other guy on later. I don't want to sound like I'm a, a doofus and don't know what I'm talking about, but um, because I am, and so I try to avoid avoid doing that, but um. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important. Obviously, conservation for, both from like it's important to us, right? Because we, as hunters, we um, conservation is kind of a naturally just a part of that. But then um, when, when we realize that White Oak Initiative and, and the, the whole perspective um, from taking a look at how white oaks are, are, are being affected, you know, and, and it's do you can you talk any into other than the actual. Um, sustainability of, 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 of white oaks um, from, a, from the perspective of like the white oak initiative and, and, and the concern isn't that there's not enough, right? It's, it's, it's how it's currently being managed. Is that sure, correct? Sure. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's so many players in that game, right? So you've got um, individual landowners, yeah. um, uh, managed forests uh, by different entities. Um, the, there's this kind of jump around, but there's so many, uh, different things out there that attack white oak. Sure. So I remember in, in Indiana, we had a, a, a plant that was being sold at Lowe's that everybody kind of flipped out about because it was actually killing the white oak oh, no in kidding. the area. And I'm, I'm not going to remember the name of it, um, but, you know, people were going to the, lo- to the lo- local Lowe's and making sure they weren't selling it. Wow. You know, you just have no control over how that gets spread out in the forest, right? I mean, there's right. natural uh, growth and, and oh. how that happens. Um, like kudzu is a big problem, too. Yep. It's taken down a lot of... 
because I know that's a basically what we were our understanding of the issue is that there's no one's making sure that these saplings are growing. Like there's plenty of trees for the next 20, 30 years, but after that, yeah. And uh, like no one's managing the forest and that's why we're so fascinated by it because managing deer is a, is a huge thing. Like you have a bourbon steward class, there's a deer steward class as well. And it's, and they teach you how to have healthy deer. And um, if you don't do that, you're not going to, you're not going to have yeah. a good population. Sure. And it's, yeah. and it's the same thing with the, with the white oak problem, but the, it's like we watch channels and stuff of other people discussing it and they're like, you know, they're talking four to six years to grow a tree. And I'm like, it's just people have no idea what they're talking about. And so that, that's what, that was the focus of kind of this is you guys need something that's 30, 60 years old, maybe in order to make something out of it. And then it's got to be dried. It's got to be cut. It's got, you have all this equipment that's got to go through it. And I think, I wonder if you're, I know y'all are going to be okay, but I think a lot of these smaller distilleries, I, I don't know what the future holds for them. I don't think they're going to be able to get barrels. Sure. And there's so many, right? There's the the new entries into the market for for brown spirits is grown exponentially in the short years I've been with Brown Foreman. Right. And yeah, it, it'll be it'll be tough. I mean, it, it it gets tough for us just with the competitive competitiveness in the market. Yeah. Yeah. In order to find wood or just everything in general. Cost. Yeah. Being able to you know get it at a good price. Yeah. Yeah. What's um you okay. So what do you buy it by the foot? I'm guessing. Yeah, log foot. Thing. Missed that part. And of a it. log foot is a log foot different than a like a foot that I learned in elementary school? <laughs> yeah. How about yeah, how much? So, uh, I have no idea. Oh really? I yeah. didn't know that. I didn't either. Oh shit! <laughs> this, this is the part you're gonna have to edit because I'll probably screw it up. But um, so your, your diameter, okay, right, and then then length. It, there's calculation. Oh, it's a combination of the two. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. I got you. That makes sense because you're you charge. Well, it's 45 feet, yeah, but it's two inches in yeah. diameter. It's not going to be the same. as that makes sense? What is a distillery or a cooperage? What, what do they sell a barrel for these days? Um, so being that we are solely tied to Brown Foreman, um, we don't really sell. Right? right, more of a cost center. Right. Um, so. I just meant like the average. Yeah, I can't. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't know if they're like five grand or no. They're not that expensive. No. A couple hundred dollars. Oh, really? Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah. You should buy. <laughs> if you I can just, find them, like I get, I get calls at work. The they'll transfer calls to me all the time. Hey, so and so down the road, we make fifteen barrels a year. Can we buy some? Huh. I mean, that's already starting. Yeah, that's interesting. I would have never thought that um, they could be that cheap. Because if you look online, I mean, you can buy them on Amazon used for like six, eight hundred bucks. Which I think a lot of that's probably shipping, but. A barrel? Yeah. For six, eight hundred dollars? Yeah. You guys just start selling barrels. Yeah. You start, make, sne- yes. start sneaking them out the back door. Price increase. Well, you know, I think they've, they've done a little bit of that around Brown here. Foreman, <laughs> Brown Foreman doubles their revenue in 2022 by yeah. just selling barrels on eBay and Amazon. Yeah, you guys might just got me a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> you should. You should pop them out on Amazon. Because you could just ship them. You have, you have the ability to move them around and get them to an Amazon storage facility. So. Sure. Yeah, we've got Amazon here in Louisville. Yeah, it, it's hard to give a price because, you know, we're obviously, we're buying, you know, sets, right? So we buy a set of staves at X dollars and then a set of heading at X. And then for us to convert that into a barrel, we're looking to do that as, as cheap as possible. Yeah. And that fluctuates, again, based off of market prices and things like that. Cause it would. So everything under the Brown Foreman, uh, whatever you want to call it, industry, umbrella. conglomerate, umbrella. Umbrella. Um, 
Okay. Does everybody get the same barrels? Um, yes. Um, so the char levels are probably different. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. There'll be, there be different uh, expressions, different you know things we'll do from either a toast or a char um, for different barrels. All the same size, they hold the same amount. Um, a different time spent at char, different time spent mm-hmm. at toasting. Mm-hmm. So when you guys barrel them up, package them up, and ship them out, there's no branding on it. They get branded at the right. whatever distillery they're going to. Yeah, they'll get their their tax stamp, and then any anything right. that the distillery does, like Woodford does the head. And, Speaking of that, because we get, I bring this up all the time. Do you know how much the tax is for one barrel? I can't remember. I because we wanted to tour one dime, and there was like millions of dollars they pay in taxes a day. Yeah, like for a large distillery. What's What's horrible is that we pay tax on everything that goes in. Yes, not what comes out. Right, and depending on the age, there's not a lot that comes out. <laughs> yeah, regardless, right? I mean, you're going to have that angel share. And, Yep. lose something so yeah and that's a i think someone told me what that that's a temporary tax temporary <laughs> from like tax. the 1920s that was a temporary tax put in place right still going strong today of course it is yeah, yeah. why would they slide exactly government's not going to be like that? uh yeah we don't need that you know turns out this isn't fair let me help you guys <laughs> we just we just caught that yeah yeah not gonna happen pretty insane it's probably also easier to for the government to they don't have to have a bunch of people calculating how much is actually coming out of the barrel they just charge you a flat. This is what you're putting in it. Start filling yep. them half full. We're definitely measuring what's coming out, right? I mean, that's right. that's yeah. one of our big goals is to hold as much in there as possible, um, and whatever we can to do that. So the problem with leaks is it pretty common or not? Um, no, it's not. I mean, we have a we're looking for less than two percent leakage okay. rate. Um, and that wouldn't be a full leaker. That would just be, it gets filled, it gets to the rickhouse, and the guys that are putting it up notice that there's a, a significant leak. And so they'll do a little coopering there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, run some files or wedges in there if they need to. Um, but with that, you know, talking about that technology, we, we just make an awesome barrel. Yeah. It's, it's neat to see. So um, right down the road here, Woodford, we've got some warehouses with pre-convergence is what we call our new equipment. So pre-convergence barrels, uh, if you go in there that, you know, the, you'll see candy or some leakage on barrels um you go to a post-convergence warehouse and it smells like concrete really uh, yeah yeah i mean it's 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 noticeably different huh that's interesting it, it's no smell yeah what you expect right because it's yeah. there's gonna be something right, right. Even yeah the, the best barrel you can make is gonna have less whiskey when you dump it yeah right. well, that was probably i mean one of the most fascinating parts of the tour we at the brown foreman was right when you step in you kind of go to the left and you step over the the line where the barrels are rolling by and there's all those master coopers right there their stations working and watching them you know work through a leak pressure test and then walk over and just from years of experience not measuring anything just grabbing staves perfect fit you know breaking it down down to just a couple of hoops and knowing mm-hmm. exactly how to keep still keep it together it was just fascinating i try to imagine myself doing what they what that guy did in like the five minutes i watched it take me all damn day yeah. <laughs> well, we've done it. Tried to pull one stave out of a barrel, and then yeah, the whole thing collapses. Yeah, it's it's hard to do. Um, and to watch those guys, they make it look like, you know, yeah, they're just well, they've been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, I they, think the guy said that between like their amount of all of the between the five guys there, you know, there was over a hundred years or whatever it was of combined experience and just and like, and it was like, it's it's in this especially around here where it's such a huge part of the culture. It's like 
that guy's not just a master cooper, but his dad was a master cooper, and so was his grandfather. Yeah, and generational, it's just a generational yeah. thing that I just, it's fascinating, man. He just there's just not there's not much of that anymore in the world. I, I think it's you know those guys get paid the most. Yeah, they're on the higher tier. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. Is that yeah. all? Is it all? Um, uh, union. Yeah. So the the Cooperton Louisville Union. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I figured. It seems like a lot of the stuff here is, is using a lot of the yeah. whiskey work. Yeah, you see a lot of that in, in, in Kentucky. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So Brown Foreman owns Jack Daniels, which is it always blows everybody's mind when I tell them that. But it's it, you also have Old Forester, Cooper's Craft. I'm missing some. Uh, Woodford Reserve. What, yeah, Woodford. Woodford Reserve. Um, owned early times for many, many years. Right. Sold that a couple years ago. Um, as far as barrels are concerned, um, we send barrels down to Mexico for Casa Herradura mm-hmm. um, and El Jimador. So they'll age for a short time, some of their product in those. Um, slain Irish whiskey. Okay. So Slane's oh. a triple cask, yeah. um, which is pretty neat. So they'll use a used barrel, um, a sherry cask, and then a, a new oak barrel. Um, Very cool. And then uh, we have a couple scotches. Okay. Do, Interesting. You, what do you guys do with the used barrels? You, people buy, or the other Cooperages will buy, or distilleries will buy yeah. those as well. Going overseas. Right overseas. Yeah, that's what yeah, I figured. Yeah. It's a. That's got to be expensive to ship. Yeah. It's yeah, um, a lot of empty space. <laughs> some of them. Um, and I'm not real sure on the numbers, but some of the different cooperages will actually have them broken down and then pack them into a container and then re, re-raise huh. them. So those guys that have broken down barrels, I mean, if you get one stave out of there, your crows could be off, uh, your width will be off. So, I mean, yeah. that's, that's pretty technical. Mm. That'd be hardcore to put it back together after it's been sitting in one shape for yeah. years at right. a time. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. They just break it down and keep all the parts together and, like, that's, I'm sure they did. That's a barrel. Yeah, I would. I would. <laughs> Good luck. Assume. Yeah, yeah. There's your barrel. So I have an early times question. Mm-hmm. You guys sold early times. So on the back of the bottle, they have DSP. That's the brown foreign one. And now the new ones, the metal tops, are the Sazerac, um, just because it was bottled there. So do you guys take the distillate out of the barrels, put them in containers, and ship them to Sazerac, or do they get the barrels? I'm um, not sure. Yeah, it tastes a little different. We're trying to figure out why. I yeah. think that it was put in plastic totes and shipped down the interstate, and I think it changed the flavor. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I keep my head in the cooperage. Right. <laughs> Didn't know if you had a thought or a theory. Yeah, you said you had an early times question. I got nervous, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dang it. No, 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 no. That was the only question. That was the only question. 
That's funny. I wonder where they sold it. Oh, this doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. So, I, probably about it for the Cooper stuff. Unless we think of something else. Um, no. I don't think so. Not for the Cooper stuff. <laughs> Can people come in? Anybody they want? Are you guys open yet or no? Um, we're open to, um, the tours. Uh, we're not doing the, uh, I forget what they called it, the, the, the tour bus kind of situation where you can just sign up for that yet. Oh, yeah. Um, but Tyler and, and Fitz, um, that Cooper Crab team, uh, they're in there just about every day with the tour from oh, good. a different area. Folks like yourselves or yeah. uh, distributors, things like that. That's awesome. It's good that they're uh, opening back up again because it's, it's a fascinating part of the world and it's a lot of, like a lot of people in the whiskey industry, events like this anyway, they have no idea. Like they just don't, I, I think people just look at barrels and they don't realize how complicated it is and how much work is into it and kind of the history of it. Do you know anything about the history? I know it was like ancient Egypt. They found barrels in there. Um, Just kind of on the surface. Yeah, nothing major. I, I think getting into this job, you know, nine years ago, all of a sudden I saw barrels everywhere. Right. And it's, it's a huge part of, of American culture, but also, you know, globally, um, you know, transit back and forth and how we transported yeah. grain and, and, and liquid and, you know, how bourbon got its color is really neat. And that came from the barrel. And, you know, although it's, people don't really understand a lot about it and it's, it's a stave, it staves head and iron, um, and a bunghole, there's not much to it. Yeah. Uh, it's so important. It's 100% color. I'm going to tell you it's 60 to 70% of the flavor. A, dist- a distillery guy is going to probably tell you a little bit less than that, but <laughs> we can have that conversation later. You know, it's it's super, super important yeah, absolutely. Uh, to what we do and, and to sitting here enjoying it. Right? I agree with the on the flavor. It's the when they distill it, uh, the reason they have those laws, they won't go over 190 is because that last 10 percent you need or not. It's not 10 percent, but those last 10 points is water. And that's all, really all you're getting is that and the flavor, whatever flavoring grain you're using. And it's not a lot of flavor. Everybody's had white dog. Kind of all tastes corn-ish, you know. But yeah. once it goes into a barrel and you start creating all these things, there's another thing we talk about in our classes, especially Old Forester has some of them, there's that great big league chew smell. And it's some pla- 1920, I get a lot of banana. And like the chemical compound for banana is C7H14O2. And that chemical <laughs> compound is isolated acetate. And it is just a chemical compound. So a banana smells like a banana. It really doesn't. It smells like this chemical compound. So you get these smells in bourbon that smells like banana. And it, it's 100% from the wood. Because the wood, the chemicals in the wood and the chemicals with the yeast and everything just kind of meld together and you get a mm-hmm. ton of flavor. But you can almost pick out, I would guess yeast. You're going to get a lot of flavor from the yeast that you use. But outside of that, I mean, you can tell. That's why they take MGP juice and they age it in Vegas and it tastes like something wild doesn't taste like mgp anymore you know <laughs> it's definitely the barrel definitely going to add more flavor i think i'm with you on that and the unique thing too is every tree and every barrel is going to be different because every tree is going to grow in a different you know environment and yeah. you know if it's southern united states it's a little swampy the grains can be a little bit different i mean there's just so so much that goes into it yet we can for the most part get a very consistent flavor but your single barrel expressions are going to have those you know little nuances that are, make them a little bit different right where do you guys, you get yours from Missouri? Is that, that's where most people All are. over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all over. So when I was at the mill in Indiana, you know, we were in three 300-mile range from there. I think okay. my buyer would go to Minnesota every so often. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of all over. Where it's growing. 
So how did we, we kind of jumped right into all the all, all stuff Cooperage and but how did how did you you I think I overheard you say you were from from Arizona originally or mm-hmm. yeah how, how did you end up in in this part of the country sure. doing what you do uh, I like I said I, I grew up in Arizona had some family in Alabama um, moved out to Alabama uh, worked for the government for a short term yeah. um, got sequestered um, and my father in law said hey Jack Daniels is building a barrel facility yeah I'm like ah. I know nothing about that. You know, it's not necessarily something I want to go for, but I need a job. Yeah. Uh, so went out and I actually started on the floor. I raised barrels, uh, okay. ran the lines, um, and then just kind of moved up into some supervisory roles there. And then had an opportunity to go on a short-term assignment to the mill in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, did that for a couple months. Uh, started to learn that side of the business, and then that plant manager left, and they reached out and uh, packed up the wife and kids. And yeah. Moved to Indiana and kind of turned our world upside down and. Um, always really really enjoyed the cooperage kind of being that's where i started and it's you, know, you, you kind of get to see that end product a little bit more so than at a mill where it's sure. a log and then a stave it's not, yeah. not as glamorous right right <clears throat> um and then an opportunity came came at bfc and okay. jumped on it and threw the wife and kids in the truck again and moved to moved a little because <laughs> <laughs> your first day there was as the man it's a race car is fine. getting it was your first day there? What was that? Did you walk in the door as the manager? Uh, yeah, I walked in as the production manager. Okay. Yeah, and then um, through some other movements, kind of reorg, uh, got moved into the plant manager role about uh, December of this year or January of this year. So, between product, which one did you like better? A um, lot less stress with still a lot of stress, but the production manager probably was a little bit less stress. But yeah. I, I like being the plant manager. I, I'm a big people person. I, I love the people that I work with. You know, we talk about these guys have been there for 20, 30 years. Yeah. I'm trying to learn from them you sure. know, every day and, and, and get to know the little nuances that they do Yeah, without even thinking about it. Um, sure. I have a supervisor who's been there for 44 years. Wow. When I got promoted to a supervisor at Jack Daniel Cooper's, I came up here um, and spent a week with him. Kind of, he trained me, kind of how to, yeah, yeah. how to be a supervisor right. in, in a Cooperage, um, and then to come back and kind of work with him again. Uh, right. That's really neat. And it's, it's just really cool to, to sit down with those guys. I, they'd probably be more interesting to talk to you today than than me. <laughs> um, but just the knowledge and and experience that they've gained in yeah. forty five years. Wow. That is wild to work somewhere for 45 years. You got to really like it. You don't, it, that's not how it is in, in America, right? It's, right. We move around. I think the average person changed career six times or something like that. I heard the other day. Wow. Holy cow. I yeah. believe it. I did it. I did it three, three times. So. Yeah, you still have plenty of time. Yeah, I yeah. catch up. <laughs> I'd love to work in some capacity or something in the Cooperage world. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. It is. Um, and, you know, events like this and, and this industry is in general is very, you know, good to each other, right? There's plenty of oh, stories yeah. you can look up about sure. distilleries helping each other out with liquid. Yeah, um, yeah. Even within the Cooperages, you know, we drove down to another Cooper here just the other day, myself and uh, our engineer and, and my boss, to kind of look at the, one of their processes. And they're completely open door. Hey, this is what we would do if we had a chance to do it different. This is what we'd recommend. I mean, everybody's going above and beyond to help each other out yeah it's uh i've we've, we've said it before it's one of our favorite one of our favorite parts about the the bourbon like in and in, in whiskey industry is everybody is willing to help everybody out like there was um what was it there was a law or a tax that was going to be imposed i think uh and it was it was basically it was going to be such a the tax was going to be so much that it was going to keep small distilleries from being able to 
either come into business or, or continue. And your big players, like your Sazerac, your whoever, your big players are the your, ones. Your that, Brown Foremans. Yeah, which, sorry. They're the ones that went to bat to with the local government mm-hmm. to stop that and shut it down because they were like, "This is going to smother out," you know. And it's it's cool to still it's cool to see that distilleries, while it is business, and of course you have competition and things to think about. At the end of the day, you're working with and preserving a, a culture and a way of life for a lot of people, and you find that in in hunting as well and outdoors, right? You have a, a neighbor that's managing a track of land, and then you create a, a relationship with local other landowner, landowners or farmers, and you work together to make sure that everybody's benefiting from the process and, and whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, it's just a, it's a very human aspect to a very big industry, if that makes, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. If you think about um, or thinking about that, Jack Daniels and, and Uncle Nearest. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure you guys are familiar oh, yeah. with that. I mean, that was basically kind of working to help start another brand that would yeah. be in direct competition. But it's just, I think part of it too for multiple uh, big players in the game, but, you know, being family owned and still ran to this day, sure. I think plays a big part in that. And, yeah. and, you know, going back to the old days, I mean, you helped out your neighbor. Yeah, of course. Nice if that was still the case today. But yeah. Yeah. We kind of talked about that a little bit how much the world has changed from the way it used to be of just wanting everybody to do well. And now yeah. it's a, uh, it's a shame to see, but it's, it's good that this industry still works together and tries to help people out for sure. It helps that it's growing like it is. Yeah. It's nuts. I mean, what do you guys think about you? Like, this is crazy or, Oh yeah. I definitely think it's crazy. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, <laughs> we talk about that 2,400 barrels a day number. I mean, I can make more. They take more. That's uh, uh, wild. Brown Foreman's got an initiative, you know, make it a double. And that's to double. <laughs> that's what everyone, <laughs> Heaven Hill did it too. Everybody's like, yeah, we're going to double production for 2023. Like, yeah. I, I just want to, do you think it'll last? Um, I hope so. I mean, it, history says it won't for yeah. forever. Um, sure. If you look at what vodka was doing 20 years ago. Yeah. But I hope so. I mean, it's. I, when I started in 2014, the production manager from Louisville came down and said, Jack Daniels has never filled this many barrels. Like, we got to get out there. We got to get it done. Yeah. And I could say that every year after that. Wow. Wow. That's wild. Fascinating, man. We, we look back on, because we meet people all the time. They're like, oh, I'm just starting to get into bourbon and blah, blah. And you're like, oh, just now. Pretty interesting. Yeah. And they forget that, like, things like Blanton's came out in the 80s. And everybody's like, have you ever heard? Like, it just, like no, this stuff's been around. <laughs> A long time, but I'll see pictures of us from we've known each other our whole lives, but like high school pictures and, and there's some wild turkey behind us or old forester or whatever in the old pictures that we have and it's funny to watch it grow as much as it has and there's so much surrounding it. And this was an accident. We didn't even mean to do this. <laughs> this but this, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. We had a we had a previous a previous company with a podcast and we were going to do a kind of a mini series called whiskey and whitetails during deer season just drink the whiskey and talk about how the hunting went that month or that week and we got such a ridiculous response from that episode uh, we were like maybe we, this is a thing you know mm-hmm. and here we are almost th- two and a half three years later yeah, that was like beginning of <laughs> the beginning of the covid things we kind of like rebranded and yeah, we started this. We started that, this thing, and it took off just because everybody's sitting at home a drinking. Great hobby I guess. for COVID, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, drinking. Yeah, and it gives us a chance to talk to people like you, which is really cool. That's one thing that was super surprising for me was 
when COVID first hit and everybody was kind of flipping out, you know, stock in the pantry as opposed to going to the bar. So we've got, you know, there's on-premise and off-premise. So at the bar and at home. Yeah. And how much our business relied on one or the other and it kind of flip-flopped and, and it didn't slow down at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sped up, if anything. Liquor's being sold. It's just going somewhere different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, well, it's I remember crazy. it. They were, they made y'all, um, whatever the, whatever that term was called where you could keep working when everybody else was shut down. Yeah. What was that term? Um, Essential. essential personnel, yeah, yeah. essential. And, they, and I was like, of course they would make that essential because it's tax money. It's like, oh yeah, these, we can't shut these guys down. And it's also, I mean, you're working with live yeast and all these things that you can't shut it down because um, yeah. all that stuff will die. Yep. Sure. But I guess the cooperage is the same thing. Like you can't shut it down. Did you guys shut down at all? Nope. Not one day. Uh, BFC shut down right before I started. Um, it was you know, right out of the gate. You know, everyone was, you know, being ultra, you know, conservative, I guess. Careful. Race car. Flap number two. Um, <laughs> everybody was being real careful, and I think there were there were a couple of cases at the Cooper, and so just to, out of yeah. abundance of costs, and they shut down. And then we kind of, you know, just like everybody developed a process and procedures for sure. when someone was sick or exposed or yeah. whatever that may be. Yeah. We got back after. I remember Seth and, and Tyler describing, you know, why taking tours out and, and why you guys' protocol at, at the, the Cooperages was so stringent because it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. If one person gets sick and then you have contact cases, suddenly you got half of an inch, a shift that can't come to work. And, right. and like we were talking about, you can't just go find these people, right? right? And you could you could literally shut down production and, and, and ruin your production for a year with someone having to stay out for whatever it was, six days. or Yeah. There's a lot that goes into that, right? So talk about the yeast and, and how long it keeps, but just having that amount of whiskey and you're making it right behind it mm -hmm. and that whiskey's got to go somewhere. Oh, and yeah. It's in a barrel. So some, we're not shipping, you know, X amount of trailers. There's not any barrels to put it in. It's yep. just got to, oh, man, I didn't think yeah. about that one, actually. Yeah. Do you guys do pickups once a day or just all day trucks all are in day. and out? That's all what day. I figured. Yeah, so we have a contract with a company that goes back and forth to Lynchburg and then um, the distillery here in Louisville, we're kind of, a couple different things. The distillery here in Louisville has a couple of trailers they own. They'll send them back and forth. And then we have another contract that goes out to uh, Woodford. So if it's made in the morning, it's already at the distillery by the afternoon? Yeah, it's probably, I mean, it may not be being filled. Yeah. Um, they'll keep a queue of, you know, a couple of trailers at the smaller sites. And then Jack Daniels, they can hold, they can probably hold up to 100 trailers somewhere in there. Wow. But they're not there right now. I mean, it just depends. And you can't, you don't ever want to put them outside because they deteriorate pretty quickly. Yeah, you don't want it to dry out. So sitting in a trailer for, for too long, you know, especially if that trailer's been used and it's got some, you know, cosmetic issues, it lets air in or water. Mm -hmm. Water probably wouldn't be as worse, as bad as air. But to dry out, those hoops start to, you know, loosen and fall, and um, that can cause a, a pretty big mess for everybody. We were telling us, somebody last night told us that they were doing a, uh, a relay race from Louisville to Lexington. It's like 120 miles or something. But they have used to roll a barrel the whole way. Oh my god! You think that's possible? No, I don't think it is either. No. I don't think it'll make it. We were, we were fairly certain it'd fall apart within the first couple hundred yards. There's no way. Banging around on a concrete. I mean, unless you screwed know. all the hoops into it. But even then, I think it would still fall apart. I just don't know why anybody would want to do that. Well, wanting to do it's a whole other story because <laughs> I, I don't know that either. Know. <laughs> I know they a, do. There's like there's a competition for for clocking barrels. You guys know what clocking barrels. No. So in the distillery, you want your bunghole to be up, right? So yeah. that's probably your uh, when you you're roll at risk it. of leaking, right? Yeah. So they'll clock it at a certain spot. And that's another, you know, craft or art form to watch is 
down a rick of however long a guy clock a barrel send it and he'll know when it stops that oh no shit up. yeah so he yeah. can do a whole row yeah and know that's where wild. to start the, dude that's that is really that's yeah that's fascinating that's, a, that's another skill there so yeah that's not something you, how do you <clears throat> sorry sit there and practice i don't know <laughs> i probably could do i it. guess years of practice you figure it out like yeah. we did um i'd imagine well if 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 you roll it and it's not you got to go down there and fix it so i guess it only takes you a few yeah a few times if you don't want to figure this out i'm tired yeah. of walking <laughs> imagine trying to fix it though yeah. You're talking 500 pounds. Yeah. And you're not, you're you're not, have to roll it you're not just like, no, <laughs> you'd have to roll it back out. Probably. Yeah. yeah probably. You, you got to get it back to what do they call the well raider? You'd have to get it back to the raider yep. in order to guess that's how they get them up there. Right. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of cool names in uh, like, like everybody knows the uh, whiskey thief. But there's a lot of cool names associated with barrels and we'll have to ask chief if he did any of that clocking stuff. Yeah. He's maybe. never told us about that. Yeah. He's the, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Chief Mercer is the fire chief at Jim Beam. Uh huh. He has some crazy stories about because that's his. You know, everybody has more than one job. He's a he's a um, carpenter too, so he's in these rick houses all day fixing leaky barrels and fixing like the ricks if they start to lean. He was, he was saying that they load, if they load it up all on one side, it will it will sink. It will lean. Oh yeah. And they have plumb lines that they'll just watch them and make sure that the building doesn't start to tip. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so insane. I don't doubt it. And how long they'll keep uh, the temperature inside that barrel. Everybody thinks, oh, hot, cold, you know, it's hot today and cold at night. But it's like, it's weeks. If it's 30 degrees outside and the temperature inside, the whiskey inside gets to be 30 degrees. Like when it's 60 every day, it'll still be 30 degrees inside those barrels for weeks. Wood's an insulator. Yeah. I mean, it's going to hold on to it for for a while. It's wild. I love it. And then one of the things people talk about is, uh, I'll let you speak to it, I'm sure. But... They talk about uh, we could just go with a different wood. If there's a white oak shortage, we can go with a different. We're like, can't do that either, because they're all porous, right? There's is there any other that's not? Um, so we talked about flavor, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd, you'd lose that. Yeah. Um, white oak and you know, scientists can probably help you with this one too. Yeah. But you know, I, I know a little bit. Uh, white oak has medullary rays and tylosis, right? Yes. So those two work together to to hold it in. Yeah. Um, I think I was listening to one of your guys' podcast talking about red oak. You put that yeah. soapy water, you can blow it. So we'll, we'll do that even at the cooperage where, you know, even white oak will come, we call it red wood, right? Mm-hmm. So sure. cut the heart out, you got good red wood. Um, we'll, you'll see guys doing the blow test just to make sure that, you know, yeah, before sure it gets not. put in a barrel and before those master coopers have to spend all that time and effort on it, yeah. you know, don't, don't put it in there in the first place. Oh, that's wild. I didn't think about that. You actually have to check that. What do you do with the heart? Cut it out. And just send it? Yeah, so it'll, it'll at the mill, we'll, you most sites will do an automatic hard edger, so they'll cut uh, it out and then do a, like a secondary manual operated uh, uh, sap edger. So why yeah. is it quarter saw? Uh, to get your your rays in line. That's we it. Want that. Yep. Yep. You'll get a, a, a bastard cut, um, so you get straight rays, and then that'll leak. Yep. Huh. So yep. yeah. So that that's right. So the quarter saw is, in addition to the other stuff, helps helps mm-hmm. it with its not being as porous. That's right. It, it's just another neat thing, right? I yeah, mean, every every step in the process has a reason, um, for the most part. Can you, can you name all the parts of a barrel? Stave head, iron, rivet, bunghole. What about the the cuts? What do you mean? Like how the 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 lip where the lid? Oh, like your crow's cut. Yeah, yeah. What are the what? Are, yeah, what are those? That's it, I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
thought we were gonna learn something. I know. Yeah. I wish I had something new to share with you. But. No, it's cool. It's, it's part of our fault. Like you know, we we enjoy this stuff, so we read about it, we learn it, we just like talking to other people about it. Yeah. So it's not that we're necessarily looking for someone to to wow us, right? It's it's a, um, it's a knowledge check. Yeah, it's I'm a not knowledge out here check. Lying. And it's, you know, our <laughs> listeners are also it's it's good for them to hear this stuff come from somebody other than us, so they don't think we're just full of shit. Um, Which we yeah, have been accused of, of course. And That's then we've right. been right almost every like yeah every time. Yeah. <laughs> part of it's part of it. Yeah, but yeah. Whatever. So, well, we're just uh, a little shy of an hour. Yeah. But, um, anything great, else you want to share? Anything you want to share or talk so, about or you're passionate about? You want to talk about? You want some followers? Beanie babies or I don't know, whatever whatever you're into, man. Um, <laughs> motorcycles, whatever. No, no beanie baby. I, man, I. I work yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, same. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Much. I mean, I cool. It, your guys' listeners probably already know all of it, but just kind of getting turned on to, to y'all's podcast and everything, the, the hunting is pretty neat. It uh, it seems like you guys hunt just about every day if you could. Yeah, if we could. We have opportunity to. I wish we could. What sucks is the big, busy time of the year for whiskey is hunting season. Yeah. So it's like we should, I should be in a tree stand right now, but, you know, we're here, which we like doing this stuff too. It's <laughs> It's fine. You can only sit for so long. You hunt? You try uh, to? A little, yeah. So, uh, like I said, growing up in Arizona, it's totally, totally different than anything out here mm-hmm. in the southeast. Um, you had to put in for a specific area. You had to put in for a specific tag. Yep. And then, you know, my dad was old school. We didn't really sit in glass. We just walked. Yeah. We walked. Um, and then they'd run by and yeah <laughs> that's, that's the way i mean it's the way i was taught as a kid just walk in the woods just walk in the woods yeah so did a little bit in alabama when i moved there and, and actually got my first deer in alabama and okay. um, kind of got hooked and then going to indiana there was there's plenty of opportunity um plenty of deer but yeah. you know just didn't get a chance to get out so a couple of folks here in kentucky i'm trying to talk into letting me get some time on their land and get back into it yeah cool. it's got a knock on them doors yeah yeah i a guy, my a friend of mine in Indiana, was we were going to start doing that, but ended up moving. So I know you guys have done some of that too. Just go and ask, right? Yeah, yeah. We just talked about that on on another podcast, man. Yeah. All, all you can do. I mean, what were they going to say? No. Okay. Ask the next one. Go to the next one. They usually say no, but that's anything in life. Yeah. People used to always ask how I got, like, because I used to be real big into cars. Like, how did you get that for so cheap? And it's like you, what you see, is what I got, but you didn't see the fifty people that told me to, you know, screw off. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Oh, cool, man. Thank you for coming on. We really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah thanks, thanks so for much for me. stopping by. Not a problem. Cool. Well, until next time, I guess we'll uh, this music starting. So, so yeah, this will also be fun. Yeah, it's gonna be great. <laughs> it's gonna be great. It was a good idea when we planned it. Yeah, <laughs> all good ideas, right? Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Well, let's drink some whiskey or something. Yeah. All, all right. right. See you. Bye. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.